You're listening to the Alberta Advantage on CJSW 90.9 FM on Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, where we offer analysis on Albertan and Canadian history and politics from a perspective that doesn't always get a lot of airtime. Hello and welcome to the Alberta Advantage. I am your host, Kate Jacobson, and joining me today on Team Advantage is Glennis Price. Good morning. And you're joining us from the Concordia University of Edmonton Faculty Association to talk about the strike that you began on January 4th. So welcome to the podcast. We are so glad you can be here. Thanks for having me. So for a little bit of background for our listeners, this is the first faculty strike in Alberta's history and also the first strike in the post-secondary sector in the last two and a half years. And many experts in labor law and labor relations are suggesting that this strike may be followed by a number of other strikes at post-secondary institutions and particularly by faculty over the next year or so. Uh, So not only has CUFA really taken the lead here, but you've also been picketing in frigid temperatures over the past week. So I guess to start off with Glittis, can you tell me about how you and your coworkers are holding up on these picket lines? We're doing remarkably well. Um, It's been amazing for me. It's been amazing for our members to see the solidarity that we're seeing across uh, Alberta for our picket this week. Uh, we've had members from faculty associations across the province. Uh, we've had members from unions that you would not necessarily expect on an academic strike line, like iron workers and teamsters. Uh, we've had teachers on the line with us, nurses on the line with us. Uh, so it's been amazing to see the solidarity with our members especially given the fact that it's, you know, been minus 40 with windchill for most of the week. Um, And every day you just add another layer and we're at it again. So can you explain some of the issues at Concordia University of Edmonton that led to your decision to strike? Yes, of course. So we've been in uh, negotiations for a new collective agreement with uh, the administration at the university since late spring. We had one of the biggest issues for our members was, in fact, workload. Uh, Our members, our faculty members have one of the highest workloads uh, in the country uh, teaching four courses a term. We were able to negotiate a, a decrease in teaching load with increased research expectations, but uh, our members will be down to, once ratified, uh, will be down to teaching three and three, uh, so three courses a term instead of the four, uh, which does free them up to be able to do more research and then more service to the university. So that was the big one. Uh, We do still have some outstanding issues. We're hoping for a very quick resolution uh, to an issue we have with discipline, uh, and that's where they had language, included language that Um, suggested we could be fired for a reason other than just cause, which is pretty much unheard of in in labor. Uh, But we're hoping for a very quick resolution to that one, hopefully even today, uh, where the language gets fixed so that we can only uh, be disciplined up to and including dismissal for just cause. Our ASO, so our faculty association is made up of full-time faculty, as well as our administrative, uh, sorry, our um, academic service officers. And our academic service officers are lab instructors, librarians, placement coordinators. 
And uh, so we haven't been able to sort out some workload issues for those members. Uh, so that's still top of mind. We don't want to create sort of a divided uh, association where one group gets sort of all the benefits of negotiating and the other side kind of just gets left behind. We also have some concerns uh, with intellectual property. The university wants to impose their institutional policy, which would allow for the benefit of commercialization to lie with the university as opposed to the member who may be the one actually creating it, which is often what you see at universities. It'll be the faculty members. It'll be the researchers that are actually creating uh, intellectual property. And so our members aren't happy with that. Uh, We do have a policy that was worked on after the last collective agreement that is much preferred by our members. That is a much more balanced approach. Uh, And so we're hoping that that can be negotiated as well. uh, The final one is uh, salary and uh, remuneration for our members. Currently, our members sit right at the bottom of the sector in uh, Canada. So we sit about 68 of 70 uh, post-secondary institutions across Canada in terms of salaries. Um, and so if you pair that with a really high workload, uh, it sort of just leads to overworked um, members who are incredibly stressed because the the onus is put on them to, to have output uh, to benefit the university. We've seen an increase about 50% uh, of enrollment at Concordia in the last five years alone. And uh, with that comes increased tuition. And of course, with the cap coming off tuition, tuition has gone up for our students. So the university has, in fact, run a surplus uh, for a number of years. But in the last two years, they've run um, two major surpluses, including $11.5 million in the last year during a pandemic, uh, which was probably the best in their 100-year history. And so uh, our ask is not not necessarily to be brought up to uh, the same status as uh, comparable universities, but just to take a couple of steps along the way to to make the university more um, competitive, to be able to retain, to be able to recruit uh, new members to the university, to maintain and to increase the level of um, excellence that we, we give to our students uh, when we teach. So you mentioned the surplus that Concordia University of Edmonton has been running for the past couple of years, but I've also heard, and this does strike me as very on the nose for any kind of industrial dispute, that they recently bought a mansion uh, of some kind. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that particular uh, situation and how that's kind of made your members feel. Of course, uh, our university this summer, after we'd started uh, collective bargaining, uh, decided to purchase or partially purchase uh, the McGrath Mansion in Highlands in Edmonton. It's an absolutely stunning property, a stunning house um, that dates back, again, over 100 years. Um, and there was a generous donation of about half of the cost. So $1.42 million was donated by the Braxma family when they were selling it. Um, And the university still put in $1.75 million into this stunning piece of property. However, it is protected by heritage status. So not only is it 
old, so it requires upkeep, but it also has to be done to a certain standard. You can't just replace a window. Uh, you have to get someone who can, you know, properly glaze them and make sure that it's done in the style to maintain the heritage status. Uh, there's also, of course, property taxes that must be paid annually. Uh, you have to have maintenance for the property. They've hired a steward uh, for the property. Uh, so you, you can't really even wear shoes in the house because the floors are these beautifully milled floors that you, you, you don't want to damage. You don't want heels walking on them. Uh, the rooms are small, so it's not particularly functional from a university use point of view. Uh, you can't necessarily bring in a piano for a concert, say. Uh, you can't have huge parties indoors because there's small spaces. I mean, even if COVID wasn't a thing right now, uh, you wouldn't be able to have it just because of the, the layout of the house. It is also zoned residential. It is not zoned to be a commercial property or an institutional property where you can have these huge parties or rent it out for conferences. So we're not really sure about the use of it or the, you know, why the university would need this property. What does it add to the university? Uh, and so that's, that's one of the questions all of our members have is $1.75 million. While the donation is part of it is lovely, but that money could have gone to so many other things at the university. Our students' tuition has gone up. Our sessionals who have currently been locked out by the university during this strike are very underpaid, according to, you know, if you look at the sector, you know, we're in the middle of collective bargaining and, and our, our ask of them is not great. Uh, so we feel that that it could have been used on the main campus for the betterment of the education of our students themselves. It's a constant question, not only by faculty members, but I've heard it from members of the community as well. What purpose does this serve the university? It's profoundly frustrating when you're negotiating with an employer who will swear to you until they're blue in the face that there's absolutely no money for increases in compensation and remuneration. And then you see them turn around and uh, spend money uh, in other ways. It can be very frustrating and also feel very disheartening uh, because of all the work that you and your coworkers do on a day-to-day -day basis to make the university work. Oh, definitely. So you mentioned your sessional instructors at Concordia University of Edmonton. And I'm aware that in most post-secondaries in, Al in Alberta, sessional or part-time instructors or contract instructors are represented by a union, sometimes the faculty union, sometimes their own. But as an independent institution, this isn't the case at CUE. Could you tell us a bit more about what has happened to sessional instructors during this strike and what can be done to support them? Of course. Uh, so with the Post-Secondary Learning Act, under the public institutions, as you mentioned, there is a requirement that your sessional workers, your contract workers are covered and are protected. With the independent institutions, that requirement isn't there. So institutions can decide whether they are or are not going to allow those members to be covered by a union or to be protected by a union. In Concordia's case, we've had, or CUE's case, we have had issues in the past getting members to be included in the faculty association. And we have had some 
unionizing drives, not for the faculty association, but with some of the staff that have gone sideways for the people who were trying to organize them in the past uh, and who are no longer employed at the university thanks to their efforts. I mean, there's always another reason because, of course, it's illegal to... <laughs> to do that. But, um, so it's very, it's very distressing. Um, so we have not had the chance to be able to include the sessionals in the faculty association. And of course, given the nature of their contracts, um, it's, it's difficult for some of them to sort of step forward and, and, and make the move to, to try to unionize. So, what's happened is because they're not covered under the faculty association, the belief was that they would continue teaching once university started, once the term started, and they received an email. Uh, most of them received an email from our VPA stating that their contracts were going to be delayed and that, yes, they'd get paid eventually, but they'd be delayed as long as the strike ran. Um, essentially meaning that the university was locking out our sessionals. Um, for the length of the strike and trying to create this big wedge between uh, colleagues. So between the full-time faculty association members and our contract sessionals. I know the sessionals have been been looking into what they can do about the, um, the breach of contracts. They all had contracts that started January 3rd. Um, and so we're, we're hoping to help them out however we can with that challenge. Um, but of course, they're not being paid right now. And because they're not covered by the uh, faculty association, they're not uh, eligible for any strike pay. So what we are hoping to do and what we are trying to organize uh, is a fundraising campaign to be able to create a hardship fund for our sessional colleagues. Uh, so we are working on um, likely setting up something similar to a GoFundMe to be able to raise money um, so that our sessionals can pay their bills so that they can, um, they're able to, to continue on in, in this field and don't have to suddenly, you know, pick up another job and, and leave what they enjoy doing because of the, the moves of the employer here. So yeah, it's been, it's been difficult. We are in contact with, um, you know, a, a big a portion of the sessional group. And uh, we've been talking with a number of groups around the province who really want to help us and really want to help the sessionals. Uh, and so we'll be we'll be trying to set that up this weekend. And uh, then we'll be uh, sharing information on the Concordia Faculty Association website, which is www.cuefa.ca and share that widely on social media so that we can get that fundraising in place for our sessionals. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you see this specific job action at Concordia University of Edmonton in relation to the broader context of post-secondary ed education in Alberta the situation with provincial politics and, you know, other faculty associations in this province going into bargaining, being in mediation, and also potentially getting into a strike position themselves. Yes, I mean, we didn't, we didn't set out for, uh, you know, to be the first. Uh, we didn't set out to, you know, be a trendsetter. But this is not just our fight. This is a fight that is coming across the province, not even just in the post-secondary, but I mean, specific to post-secondary. There has been a 
slow and steady attempt to dismantle our post-secondary system in this province. And it's to the detriment of our province and to the detriment of the students who wish to um, partake in higher learning in this province. Uh, and that goes for students who want to learn trades and who want to go to Nate, go to SAIT, who want to become artists and who want to be molecular biologists. It doesn't matter what you want to do. Uh, all higher education is under attack. And that is a serious concern because that will negatively affect the future of this province. And I think that someone was going to go. Someone will be on strike. I think 2022 will be a fascinating year in post-secondary union history in this province. Um, and when I speak to members of other faculty associations, it's amazing because the fight is the same. There may be a little, a few differences here and there, of course, in terms of what people are asking for. But one of the biggest things is respect. And one of the, you know, one of the, the core issues that everyone is facing is that someone is telling them, you're just overpaid, you sit at home, you don't work 12 months of the year. And that's not true. Uh, every academic I have ever interacted with, uh, including all of my colleagues, work nonstop 12 months of the year. We don't have summers off. Our summers are to get ready for the next year. They're to do research in. We have spent the last two years almost pivoting online, offline, online, offline. And that is true across the sector. And I think that there's a an unwillingness to just keep adding jobs to our roles and just keep doing more and more for our institutions when, you know, no one will even turn around and say, thank you. Thank you for the work you've done to make this institution work. And I think that this is also a fight for all non-academic unions. I don't think that, you know, we're necessarily a weather vane, but the solidarity we've seen on the line shows that there is frustration in this province that doesn't matter what your job is, there needs to be a level of respect that we are not seeing uh, from administrations that we are not necessarily seeing from our government. And I think it's important that people stand up for that. Everyone deserves respect. It doesn't matter what you're making. It doesn't matter what your job description is. There should be a level of respect and workers in this province are starting to demand that. And I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Every worker deserves a union and every worker deserves to be treated with dignity and respect on the workplace. Glynis, could you tell us about ideally what you would like to see come from this job action, both in your collective agreement, but also longer term? Uh, for your faculty association and for Concordia University of Edmonton? Of course. So obviously we would like a deal. We are back at the bargaining table, which is great news. Uh, so we hope that we can come to a resolution. Uh, we don't want to be out on the you know 112th Ave in Edmonton waving picket signs at people. We would like to be back in our classrooms. We want to be back in our libraries working with our students. But 
we need to make sure that we have an equitable deal for all of our members, not just some of our members. And I think the one thing we've learned on the picket line this week is how much strength there is in our members. It's not just me and that guy and, you know, you know, the religion professor and the librarian and the biology prof. It's everyone. And we've discovered our collective voice. And I think that is only going to make Concordia a stronger university going forward because it means that there will be more collaboration. It means that there will be a more collective voice speaking up for our group, for those of us who teach at the institution, including sessionals. Uh, and I think that, that that will only make it a better institution and will make us all better um, educators. And I think that's, that's what it comes down to is what can we teach? What can we help with so our students learn of course learn about molecular biology or learn about chemistry but also learn about life and learn about you know the collective we as opposed to the i and i think that's going to be important we have a much stronger voice going forward i think uh in terms of asking for equitable treatment at the institution most importantly, one of the big things we're looking at is getting our sessional instructors protected, whether that is under the faculty association or whether we help them uh, unionize under one of the many amazing unions we have in this province. Um, I think that's that's a big thing is to make sure that that everyone is protected and everyone has a voice at Concordia, not just the administration. How can our listeners support your efforts and support the strike? We always welcome people on the line if you want to walk in solidarity with us. It is supposed to get warmer this week, so that's that's a big plus for everyone. But as well, amplify voices um, of the students, amplify voices of our sessionals, of our members uh, on social media. Go visit our website, uh, as I said, www.cuefa.ca. We do regularly put updates on there. We will be trying to keep in touch with everyone on there because, of course, we, we don't have access to our work emails. So this is how we keep in touch with our students. And we will be putting information up there in terms of if, if you would like to help us or help our sessional fund um, financially, we will be putting links up there so that people can, can donate to, to either of those if they so choose. And I also know that the CAUT, the Canadian Association of University Teachers, has an e email template form that you can use to send an email to the president of Concordia University of Edmonton, asking him to bargain fairly with your faculty association. Yes, uh, CAUT has been phenomenal. Uh, they are some, some amazing people to... Uh, to work with. And I know that on our uh, website that I mentioned, there is a link directly to that letter to write, uh, send your voice or add your voice to the notes going to the president of the institution. I mean, we have over a thousand people who have uh, stood in solidar solidarity with us in terms of that letter. Um, but there's a direct link to that on our on our website as well.
Uh, absolutely. And we'll have links to all of this in the episode description as well. Glynis, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or that you'd like our listeners to know? No, I think that we've been getting our message out there. People have been supportive. There is an appetite for movement and for solidarity in this province that I wasn't aware was there. And it has been amazing to see that this week. It has been heartwarming for our members to realize that we are not alone. We're not just sort of an outlier on the picket line, uh, that this is a common fight. This is a common goal, uh, equity for all uh, in the province. Um, And I think that this is just the start. There will be more coming after, and we hope to be able to stand in solidarity with all of those who have stood with us, and we will see what's going forth. Absolutely. I wish you and all of your coworkers the absolute best of luck, and you have so much solidarity from so many people and definitely all of us here at the Alberta Advantage. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time to talk to us about your strike and what's at stake and what you're doing to fight for higher education in Alberta. Thank you very much for inviting me on and and being able to share this message. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can hear a longer version of this episode and many more on albertaadvantagepod.com. So long, Calgary. Thank you.